Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Andrew Millen and you're listening to the Celtic Soul Podcast. And today we hit a little milestone on the podcast with our 50th episode. Today in the show, we'll be chatting to Charlie Lord. Charlie was born in Belfast, but emigrated over 20 years ago to the US of A. He now lives in Philadelphia and is a member of the Plowboys Celtic Supporters Club. By day, he is a college lecturer, and he is also the man behind the Irish-American website CelticClothing.com. I spoke to Charlie back in June on episode 4, and I always look forward to hearing his take on what's going on stateside in both Celtic circles and within the wider Irish diaspora. Especially now we have President Joe Biden in office, who comes from the Irish diaspora. This episode has been sponsored by St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club. A big thank you to Hilly, Tommy and all the crew for the continued support of the podcast and for supporting the fanzine over the last 20 years. Thank you very much, boys. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at And as always, you can contact us through the website or message us on social media. And if you like what we're doing, you can also support us by visiting CelticFansin.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. We promise no one wanted Google adverts on our website within our articles and news and no one wanted advert interruptions on this podcast. We're keeping it real and we're doing our best to keep it independent. Your support will help us to continue to produce quality independent fan journalism, podcasts, video content, free live events when we can get back doing them. But don't worry if you're not in a position to support us. We will still deliver the same quality content to all listeners free. So folks, please keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming in. The listenership is growing with every episode, so thank you very much. And keep the comments and feedback for future guests coming in. As always, we reach out to all the guests and some of them are confirmed for the next couple of weeks. And here's some of the comments from episode 49 when David Lowe was our guest. 
post visit to the Celtics Hill podcast. Really enjoyed the crack and we'll be back for more. Keep up your great work, boys and girls. And that's from Daily Mirror columnist Brian McNally. Have to say, Andrew Millen, that was possibly the most interesting podcast you've shared so far. Fascinating to listen to David Lowe in terms of his unique business insights into the football world, the world of Celtic, his football knowledge on the pitch ain't too shabby, and the stories of his life supporting the club were very entertaining. Also, fair play to you for your fitting tribute to Wilksy. And that comes in from Gary Griffin in Dublin. Great listen this week, Andrew. Fair dues. That's from Frank Cullen. Top listen this morning with David Lowe. How good would it be to get Fergus on? That comes from Eddie Cantwell. Eddie, again, will reach out to Fergus, but as you know, Fergus doesn't do media. Enjoy the podcast every time. Keep up the good work, mate. That's from a good friend of mine, Charlie Glavin down in Cork. Great supporter of the fans, in. Great podcast with David Lowe. Really enjoyed it. Actually met David in 2001 when the Celtic Roadshow came to Limerick. And that comes from Paul on Twitter. Another quality podcast, a great tribute to John Wilkes. David Lowe speaks very well and gives a fantastic insight into the Fergus McCann era. Good to hear about Mayo man John Keane's pivotal role in saving the club. Also interesting stuff about the Celtic Trust and the four clubs in Scotland that have went bankrupt. The exact destination of McCann's shares, the crack of it there at Desmond. Keep up the good work, Andrew. You are keeping a lot of us going during this lockdown. And that comes from Tony Ratton in Sunderland. Thanks for the comment, Tony. Your walk is a diamond in the mud just now. And that comes from Brendan McCann in Dubai a great listen keep up the good work and that comes from Kettle Glen on Twitter so here we are at the 50th episode thanks for listening folks and don't forget to delve back into our back catalogue where you'll find plenty of interesting conversations with Celtic fans former Celtic players who have been lucky enough to play on the Paradise Park We've also spoke to people who have been in the dugout of Celtic Park and we've also have guests on from the world of arts, media, business and sport. Don't forget to check them out. Hit that rewind button and look up our other episodes. Thank you very much. Livingston, home and away. Two draws, two points. The current dark cloud that hangs over Celtic Park continues to get darker. We all thought we had turned the corner after the Lille game and the introduction of fresh blood. But January has been an absolute disaster. But on and off the field. Red cards, no wins, Dubai, COVID-19, injuries, media bust-ups, snowstorms on a plastic pitch. The quest for 10 is now gone. It's time for a fresh approach on and off the park. I have no doubt that Dermot Desmond is working behind the scenes to make sure the board is shaken up. If that includes a new CEO, we'll have to wait and see. A new manager will be appointed. Of that, I have no doubt. When is anyone's guess? It may take time, so be it. The appointment of a new manager has to be chosen carefully and he will have to take all the boxes that will get the fans to open their wallets once again and buy season books for next season in the hope that the vaccine will kick in at some stage and we can get back to Celtic Park. Players will leave and the new manager must be allowed to have a major say in who comes into the club. It looks like Nick Hammond's days are also numbered as head of recruitment. He has failed. Money has been wasted. The new manager must also bring in his own coaching staff and the first priority should be sorting out our leaky defence and shaky goalkeepers. Roy Keane and Eddie Howe have been linked by the media. Maybe the club are talking to them and maybe they're not. Maybe it's just that they're both unemployed and this is the reason they have been linked with the club. And Celtic then would not have to buy these out of their contracts. I think the club, and it's only my opinion, but I do think they need to search near and far and high and low for the right person, be he be unemployed or still within a contract at another club. And we as fans may have to be patient as we wait for that announcement to the stock market that there are going to be new appointments in the dugout and the boardroom on the London Road. 
Next season, we will still be the biggest and the richest club in Scotland with the biggest worldwide fan base. The board and the new manager should be judged on progression in Europe and domestically we need to start looking beyond being happy to finish above the Rangers. When fans return, expect the games against the Rangers to be sold out, no matter what price the tickets cost. But unless the manager's box office, the stadium will be half empty when we play almost every other game domestically. I still believe that season book sales will not be as bad as predicted because we are so emotionally wrapped up in our club. And there are still many fans who consider that the season book price is worth it for the two games against our neighbours across the sea, their Rangers or Newco or Sevco or whatever you like to call them. We are waiting in the wings for the winds of change to blow sooner rather than later. Charlie Lord is an old friend. He was born in Belfast and emigrated to the States over 30 years ago. He now lives in Philadelphia and is a member of the Plowboys Celtic Supporters Club. By day, he's a college lecturer and the man behind Irish-American clothing website, CelticClothing.com. And he is also a registered Democrat. Hi, Charlie. You're very welcome back to the Celtic Soul podcast. At a time when Celtic looked to be heading into a transition period with the 10 now looking dead and buried, has the time finally come for change in the boardroom, the dugout and the dressing room? Hey, Andrew. Uh, good to be back on again. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's great yeah. to have you back, Charlie. Yeah, uh, a change. That what a question to start with, there, Andrew. That's uh, you know, has time come for change in the in the boardroom and the dugout, the dressing room? Oh boy, I, I think it's like I think it's yes to all three. You know, uh, and it's a good question because it's not about individual players. It's not about the manager. It's you know, it goes all the way up to board level. It's a collective responsibility. And uh, I think there's plenty of blame to go around. I mean, your, your listeners are obviously as flummoxed and as disappointed and as confused as as I would be over here with um, how we've just seen this season unfold. How we've seen this season, it's just like it just didn't even unfold. It's a train wreck. And, and I think personally, um, I think it's been a, a case of managed decline um, since um, since Brendan Rodgers. Uh, left, you know, um, and and oh boy, even at board level, I mean, you know, the decision to appoint Lennon, I I know that that was it was a, it split the fans right from the get go. Was it a lazy appointment by by Lowell and the chief exec? You know, the board, you know, in the showers after the game, you know, he he brought home the trophies. He did what he was supposed to do. He got us over the line. It was hard to say no, but yeah, it did split the fan base. And but now where we're at, it's we just haven't improved. Um, and and it's it's I don't I don't see any signs of improvement. Um, we've got a lot of players who seem discontented. They seem want they seem, seems like they want away. It looks like we're going to have a lot of turnover. Um, between now, like when you're in this this window and the summer window, between now and next season, you know we're looking at Edward probably leaving, wanting away. We're looking at uh, Incham leaving. We're looking at uh, El Hamed's probably going back to Palestine. I think there's some family issues. You know, the whole COVID thing hasn't worked well for him. Well, even though he's a decent right back, you know, we're looking at. Um, who else? Christie's not signing his contract. Brown's contract's up at the end of the season. I mean, there's a long list here. I and mean, then maybe a big bid comes in from the Italians for Ayer. <laughs> I mean, like, where do we, where, it's just, how is this happening to us, you know? So, uh, what a question to start with. Uh, plenty of blame, board level, management, 
level and not just laying on himself. You've got Kennedy, you've got the backroom staff, and then you've got the individual responsibility of players. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of Lennon's under a lot of pressure right now. I tried to remain supportive. I think it's, uh, it's at the point now where we, we need to change. Um, and, and, but, uh, you know, like there's a lot of talk of how and Eddie Howe from, I think it was Bournemouth in, in the England. Um, and Lennon's saying yesterday, I'm not leaving. I don't blame him. You know, if he left, I think it's going to cost him around a personal cost to him of about three million pounds, probably, because Lowell had given him a, a three year contract, I think it is, for about three, three and a half million. So, I mean, that's a significant. I think if he walks away, you know, he breaks the contract, Celtic don't have to pay him. Um, so, I mean, like, why did, and, and Lowell, um, again, there's another issue in terms of, I think when he started, he might have been making 250000 a year. Um, now he's pulling in about $3.5 million a year. Um, and it reminds me of a situation. There was a company here in Texas, here in the United States, and I can't remember the name of them, but I'm going back to the 1990s. They were a massive American company. Um, and when they went under, the, the staff, everybody lost all their pensions, funds. It was, it was a real big news over here. But the way that company was structured, I guess it was during the noughties. You'll certainly remember the noughties back home in Ireland. The problem with the company was they were structured in such a way that the executives were being paid, their bonuses were being paid um, based on the profits of the company. So they were inflating the share prices and stuff and working the books. Now, I'm not saying anything like that has happened in Celtic. Don't misunderstand me. But the problem is, um, with regard to Lowell's position and his remuneration, and we know that he gets his bonuses, it's structured in such a way it's pretty comfortable for him. And he can get comfortable because if Celtic make the Champions League, we get 20, 30 million. We get our revenue stream, he gets his bonus. If Celtic end up uh, dropping down to the, the Europa League, no problem, he gets his bonus. We get a revenue stream, he gets his bonus. And if we don't make this, if we don't take steps forward like that as a football team, he just sells a player. And he still gets his bonus. So I don't like that setup at board level either. I think it's too easy, too complacent. You get too comfortable. It's been going on for too long. Um, so that would be a major thing for me there. I mean, it's pulling a lot of money out of the club and it's structured. If, if his bonus was tied to Celtic qualifying for European football, I'd be a lot more comfortable with that. But right now it's not. If we qualify, he gets paid. If we don't qualify, he sells a player, we get paid. He gets paid no matter what. So I've, so that, that's that's not the best. And then, and if he's getting too comfortable, then he makes some of these decisions that, I mean, we all seen the interview on 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 uh, Celtic TV regarding the situation with um, with the, the trip to Dubai. And it was a little bit kind of, you know, yeah, I'm making this apology, but, you know, it, it wasn't a fulsome, wholesome apology where you recognize and the facts and stand up and kind of take ownership of the issue. You know, it, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. At the time, I remember texting some friends in a, in a Celtic group chat that were in a WhatsApp and I'm like, hey guys, why are we even going to Dubai? You know, I mean, is that not a bit silly? And then sure enough, uh, there's all kinds of problems, you know, uh, with the whole trip. It, it just looked bad. And then we get uh, COVID, uh, people testing positive for COVID, 13 players out, you know, it just couldn't get in. And it just, <laughs> and, and then the snow last night uh, in Livingston, um, that 2 2 draw, it was just, it was all very, it's all been very painful. Yeah, Charlie, um, just on the, on the board, uh, we had David Lowe on the podcast last week, and David had said, you know, that the board was quite comfortable 
they'd been there a long time. He, he explained to us the structures of how the, the satellite board and boards in general work. It's well known that Peter's been there for 13 years and he's huge influence, obviously, and uh, he's not been challenged and he may not be, be, be challenged in the boardroom. But at the end of the day, you spoke there about Neil Lennon um, quitting the job or walking away. That's not going to happen. It's, it's not his job to sack himself. It's the job of Dermot Desmond, the board, and Peter Law, to instruct Peter Lawwell to release him from his contract and pay him the money, which is the honourable thing to do, in my opinion. Honour his contract. Now, that costs money. A new manager but is going to come in. That's, that's definitely going to happen. A new manager will bring in new players. He might bring in new coaching techniques. Whatever he brings in, he'll bring something. And it's not a given that he'll be successful. But as the team with the most money in the league, as the team with the biggest support in the league, as the team with a worldwide base, as the team with a fabulous stadium, as the team with a fabulous training ground. It, it should be appealing to managers. And I don't think we should be just going after managers who are unemployed because that's a cheap option. We've been linked with Roy Keane and, as you said, Howden, who was with Bournemouth, both unemployed, so both available. The media love to link us with players. I mean, maybe we haven't even spoke to these. But I definitely believe that Dermot Desmond has a plan B. I definitely believe we're speaking to managers. I don't think it might happen overnight, but there's definitely change coming. It's coming down the line. And hopefully whoever does come in and maybe they've speaking to someone that is under contract and comes out of contract at the end of the summer. So this, this all needs to be kind of taken into account. There is change happening. And of that, I have no doubt because Dermot Desmond did not get to where he is in business without making hard decisions and without having a plan B. Well, a couple of things there, Andrew. Um, you know, I, I must confess, I did not hear the uh, the podcast last week. So hopefully uh, what I was saying falls in line with the, the, the guy who obviously knows a lot more than I would about the board structures, etc. Um, but with uh, regard to your comment there about Dermot Desmond and a plan B, I do tend to agree with you. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, sack the board, sack the manager, all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you, you can't do that. Obviously, you're talking about a major corporation here. PLC, hundreds of millions of pounds. So it needs to be kind of managed change, you know? And Dermot Desmond does have, I agree with all your comments about the, you know, why would Lennon walk away? You know, he's got the contracts, et cetera. But Dermot Desmond does have form here. And I think it would be negligent if they are not already trying to reach out to new, uh, to, to, for a new manager, you know, for, for candidates. Um, Dermot Desmond does have form here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think he put he dipped into his pocket for about a million pounds back in the day to try and attract um, to attract Martin O'Neill to Celtic Park, and that worked well. And he dipped his hand in his pocket again for about five million to bring Brendan Rogers to Celtic Park, and that worked well. Um, now, when Rogers went left and went to Leicester, Leicester gave us about nine million. So whether Dermot Desmond got all his money back plus a bit, or whether four million goes in the club i don't know but he has form and he believes personally that he feels that a good manager can have more impact on a team than um a, a marquee signing you know like a big name player and i would have to agree with him and, and it's worked to get it's worked with o'neill it's worked with rogers and i have a feeling when you're talking about the plan b i have a feeling that is his plan also i would tend to agree with you on that i hope that something happens by you know march end of March where because again it, it's not just a matter of like you say getting people because they're unemployed you know 
how might be a good manager. My one, um, my one concern for for him at Celtic is that I don't think he has any European experience. You know, um, and you're right. The newspapers want to link us with A, B, and C. Uh, I personally don't think Roy Keane would be very good for the job. I think Eddie Howe would be better, but Eddie Howe doesn't have European experience, and I see that as you know, a hugely important component of where Celtic need to be if we're going to move forward as the size of the club we are, like the training stuff that we have, um, you know, and the budget and all this kind of stuff and the worldwide fan base. You know, we need to be competing in European football. That should be our measure. And right now with the, the whole signing policies and, and, I mean, losing the likes of McGinn in negotiations, I mean, we should have these guys in because we need them ready and embedded to get us through the qualifiers and get us into those European competitions so we're not having disasters like we have had over the last couple of seasons in Europe. Um, although, I mean, Hank, it was these, this year was awful, as we know. The season before that, we had a pretty good run. We finished top of our uh, European uh, Europa League group games against Lazio and stuff that we all remember. But um, but there's been a lot of... There's been a lot of um, disasters in there too against teams European teams with smaller budgets that we should be beating and it just seems to me that again the board's getting comfortable they're not preparing us they're not maybe as ambitious enough uh, as much as the fans who we want to see them in European football and and that should be kind of like our benchmark you know that's where we should be that's where we know we're moving forward right now it's pretty obvious that we're 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 moving backwards, you know. It, it's pretty obvious at this point. You know, I, I tried to stay loyal to Lennon. You know, he's an Irishman, and, and, and look, he's given everything to the club. I think he said yesterday, "I'm not went, w- walking away. I've given everything to this club. It's my life, etc." And it has been. And you know, he's been a manager of the club, a player at the club. Um, he's been attacked in the streets, attacked in the stands. So yeah, we we uh, he's given everything to the club, you know. Um, so I, I understand why he wouldn't want to walk away, um, but we need to, um, yeah, we need to be looking at some options and um, maybe, um, maybe some other managers who are not out of contract yet, who haven't lost their position yet. Um, maybe we do try to pay the money to attract someone from another club. There are lots of good managers, right? There's guys around Europe who've, all th- you know, I thought us tactically within the last couple of seasons. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of options there, and that's what we need to be looking at. Uh, and I would like to see someone with a European experience. Yeah, we had Mark Bork uh, on, the, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and Mark, when John Barnes was uh, leaving Celtic and things were going tits up that season, he contacted Dermot Desmond, and Dermot Desmond get, phoned him and basically told him, I would prefer to spend money on a manager than on players. So you're right in where you're saying that he has dipped into his pocket. He wouldn't tell Mark at the time who the manager was and it, it turned out it was Martin O'Neill and we all know how that worked out. So hopefully he does bring in um, a manager that can take us, as you say, into Europe where that should be the benchmark and the benchmark for a CEO should not be cashing in on one of our stars. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. But Charlie, I want to um, I want to move out of Glasgow for we'll we'll nip back into Glasgow, but I want to move stateside because I've been uh, I've been glued to me telly um, in recent weeks. I've been checking on the American channels, and you never seem to be out of news anymore over there. But look, you have a new president now. I'm told he's only the second Catholic. He's definitely the second of Irish descent to get the big gig in the White House after JFK. And on JFK, I went to visit his uh, ancestral home down in Water. 
Salford with my mum and dad in the summer when we got a little break away when, when it was it was deemed safe to go on a staycation and uh, it was amazing to see to hear the Kennedy story first and if anyone gets a chance you should visit that down in Waterford and say what a good friend John Mooney in the Rue Glen Hotel which is close by he look after you um, he did that a couple of days for us but anyway back to the White House that was me just giving John a little plug because he supports us here on the podcast and the fans here JFK also hung Charlie uh, famously picture of him also hung in famous Bird's Bar in Glasgow's Gallagate which is sadly with us no more one of the most famous Celtic pubs ever uh, I wonder will a Joe Biden picture be hanging up in a Celtic pub soon in Glasgow we'll have to wait and see but there's certainly a lot of interest within the Celtic support on Twitter and on social media Charlie, um, I know you're a, a Democrat. You must be very happy with the change of the guard in Washington. Yes, yes, absolutely. I'm very happy that uh, Donald Trump, um, yeah, glad to see the back of him. He's away off to Mar-a-Lago. I don't know what his future holds. Um, you know, obviously there's an impeachment process going through uh, Congress at the moment, through the Senate. But additionally, um, he could face state charges. Um, so uh, I, I Per, I, I hope that he ends up, you know, in, a, in an orange jumpsuit in jail. You know, that's my view on that. Um, but, you know, in, in that political movement, he, he tapped into you know, a, um, a sense amongst the white working class, uh, a sense of loss and, and disenchantment and disenfranchisement here in the United States amongst that particular demographic. These are the folks who worked in the factories around, you know, the Midwest and, and the Rust Belt, as it's now called. These are the people that did the, the labor. And, and a lot of those manufacturing jobs all went overseas. And these people lost their jobs. And some of these towns now, Andrew, are, you know, they're very derelict. They're very run down. There's opioid and drug addictions and problem, social problems. And he kind of tapped into that discontent. So the reason I mention this is because the Democrats, who used to be the, the, the party of the unions and the working men and women, um, the Democrats have lost that demographic. They've now become a little bit elitist. Um, and they need to be careful and cautious about some of the, the positions that they're adopting. They need, they need to win back that um, working class um, element, but yeah, you know, and maybe we need to educate them too because there's there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in there that's not very appealing. You know, there's some right wing stuff, there's some racist and sexist stuff that um, that uh, you know that's it's obviously not appropriate. And in this day and age, and some of those old uh, mindsets need to be brought forward into the 21st century. Hopefully, we can do that. Hopefully, we can win some of them back. Um, so I don't know what Trump's future holds. Um, I, I think. Personally, the future of America looks a little bit brighter now that we have Joe Biden in it. And uh, yeah, I hope that uh, you know, we'll see what happens going forward. Um, Joe himself as an individual, um, in your introduction there, you were saying that you felt uh, you thought he was second Irish Catholic. Uh, he, I, I believe this, that is true. John F. Kennedy was the first and Joe Biden was the second Irish Catholic in the White House. Interestingly for me, um, I think the most interesting aspect is that it wasn't even talked about here. It just went completely under the radar, um, which is I thought was a very good thing. It it shows progress. It shows it doesn't matter anymore if you're a Catholic or Irish or what you know those kind of issues. Um, probably matter more at home in the north on our own island than they do to the Americans at this point in time. You know, and uh, Joe Biden does. He actually um, lives about eight miles south of me. 
Um, I live in a place called Chadsford, Pennsylvania, which is in the Delaware, um, on the border with Delaware. And uh, Joe Biden lives um, just uh, across the Delaware line in Greenville, which is about eight, eight miles south of my house. In fact, I've actually seen him at Mass. Joe and my wife goes to Mass a lot, and my wife and Joe Biden go to the same chapel. Um, I don't go to Mass as often, <laughs> as often as I used to, but she'll drag me along at different occasions, Christmas and that kind of thing. And sure enough, um, there was Joe in, in Mass one day with his. Um, with his grandchildren. So we were coming back out and we go up the same road home because we both head north on Route 52. So me and my wife stopped in to get coffee in this nice little coffee shop. And who comes into the coffee shop but Joe Biden with his uh, with his granddaughters. And I felt like getting a selfie. This is, this is maybe, I'd say, about three or four years ago. Um, and I felt like asking him for a selfie, but I didn't want to bother him because he had his kids and all with him, you know. Um, but yeah, he was standing right beside me in line getting our coffee um but now he very much identifies with this irish and, and one of the things well the question i wanted to ask him that day he very much identifies with his irish um background his mother uh, i think it was or was his grandmother was a, a Fitzsimmons or something i can't really remember or finnegan um and he comes from like scranton up in the northern part of the state here it's a very working class um town uh, so his grandmother was a Finnegan. He identifies very much with that Irish side of his, his background. And um, I had been told, or I had read rather, um, one time that somebody was asking Joe Biden questions. They were asking him about who are your political influences, you know, historical political influences. And he actually quoted Wolf Tone as being one of his major historic. That's good. This was, you know, before he, he might've been vice president. He might've been just become vice president under Obama's first term. And I was like, wow, that's really strange for an American, even if they're Irish American to know enough to about Ireland and Ireland's history and to quote someone like Wolf Tone, you know, as being a major political influence on them. So I was very impressed by that. Um, so he very much seems to identify with the Irish. Uh, yeah. He's, you know, I've even he's referred to as uh, Irish Joe Biden and stuff. And you've probably seen the memes and the different things and the, the stuff on social media out there where um, he's asked questions and he wouldn't answer a question to the BBC. And he makes these kind of like jokes that are really kind of like not funny. <laughs> like growing up in Belfast, he would say things that he thinks are funny, but you wouldn't say them, you know, in polite company because they might be misconstrued. Um, where he was standing in front of the Irish flag. It was St. Patrick's Day or something here in Washington, D.C. And he says, if you're wearing orange, you're, you're not welcome or you're not allowed in, something like that, you know? So he has this kind of, uh, I don't know, he's, he's, he definitely identifies with the Irish side of his uh, background there, even though if some of his uh, jokes maybe leave a lot to be desired, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad he's there. I, I'm very happy that um, he was appointed and elected and... Um, it went right under the radar. Nobody even questioned his religion or his, his heritage or anything. So I, I think that's progress, you know? Yeah, but as a, as a registered Democrat, Charlie, you get to, to vote in the, in the primaries, I believe. And yep. he wasn't your first choice. Yeah, that's right, actually. I'm, I'm more of a Bernie Sanders type of guy. Uh, Bernie's a little bit more to the left. See, Joe Biden is, um, he is someone who the party thinks, well, let me take a step back. When you're a registered Democrat, you vote in the Democratic primaries. So we get to pick who is going to be the Democratic candidate for president to go against the Republican. In the primaries, I've always voted for Bernie Sanders. I voted for him against Hillary Clinton. I voted for him against Joe Biden. You know, I, I just that's who I vote for. Now, I always know that Joe, that uh, uh, you know Bernie's not going to win because he's uh, you know 
told the Americans he was a socialist, you know, uh, so he's not going to win. But I wanted, as I, I've said to you before, I wanted the, the, the political establishment, the Democratic Party, to know that, you know, he has a platform that needs to be listened to. That's the working man's platform. you got to listen to this guy and try and get some of his issues onto the table. Um, so we'll see. Well, Joe, Joe Biden is, you know, he was kind of like, he was like Hillary Clinton in that, he was the establishment candidate. He was the guy the Democratic political establishment wanted to be the nominee to go against Donald Trump. And look, they 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 pick these folks because they think they want the best candidate to win. Because with the Democrat, they can then get um, get their policies through the Congress, get them through the Senate, executive branch of government, whatever they got to do, they can get things done. You know, so it. Yeah, Joe is kind of a, a candidate, a president who will unite the party. Everybody can get behind him. Uh, you, he beat Donald Trump, so now we've got the executive branch of government. We've got the legislative branch, so um, both House and the Senate, it seems like, with the tying uh, vote from Kamala Harris in the Senate. So everything looks pretty good there, and we, we'll be able to get some uh, some things through. Um, and I'll be looking to see what's on that you know, what policies I, I'd like to see change in education, because I think the the cost of college here is way too much for the kids and they're getting into debt. You know, that would be a, an issue with me. Uh, but we'll see what kind of policies they're coming through with. And, the, and hopefully we can win back some of that white working class vote and not not become an elitist middle class kind of political party. Uh, I think that would be the wrong thing to do, obviously, because, you know, I mean, we, we we have to stand up for the working man. I mean, the Democrats is the only party in this country that that will. You know, <laughs> the Republicans sure aren't going to. They're going to stand up for, for business and for economic interests and, uh, and self-interest many times. I, I, the cowardice of them to support Donald Trump through all of this mayhem, it's just been shocking to me that they have stood by him. I, I just regard it as political cowardice of the highest order, you know, but there you have it. Yeah, the last time, Charlie, we had you on the show, um, which was back in June, it, we... At that time, we were speaking about the Black Lives Matters movement. We were speaking about the amount of guns in America, and we spoke about the pandemic. Now, over here, Neil Lennon may have divided opinion among Celtic fans, but Donald Trump managed to divide a nation, which would see these right-wing headbangers stand the government buildings, you know, to, as he tried in vain to, the last gasp, cling to power. You must have, you must have thought you'd never see that day. Yeah, they they it was they were like the actions of a fascist. I mean, that's how I perceive them. You know, America often thinks that you know these things happen in like Belarus or some other country. You know, they don't happen here in the United States. And and one of the the, the sad things about um, about Trump's tenure in the White House is that I think he's exposed to the world a lot of America's weaknesses, weaknesses that and the ugly side of America that. That America doesn't want to see. America doesn't see these things when it looks in the mirror. You know, every country has its own view of itself and how it sees itself, how it perceives itself, um, how it likes to see itself. And then there's the kind of reality of, or, or how other countries might view them. Well, I think America, Donald Trump exposed the ugly side of America, you know, um, and, and, and allowed other folks and other countries and America itself to see that ugly side. It's, you know, that that's not how america sees itself it sees itself as the beacon of democracy in this wonderfully advanced country that has great you know um intelligence agents 
seas and all the stuff that comes with with the American uh, with the American dream or whatever they want to call it here. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of that was exposed as you know maybe not being as as shiny as everybody thought it was is you know. Um, so yeah, that was an unfortunate part of his his time here. But uh, yeah, he's gone, so life's getting better. Thanks very much, Charlie, for the insight into um, how I suppose someone from the Irish diaspora sees sees things over there now. And it, but it is like it's a very romantic story to think that you know when people left this country generations ago, both to the, the states and to Glasgow, that you know an Irishman or people of Irish descent would be in the White House, and then when you look towards Glasgow. Also, see how people who who fled starvation have you know risen to the top in in, in their chosen fields in in Glasgow and indeed throughout the world. So, you know, the Irish have we sometimes joke about ourselves and other people, you know, point the finger and call us the thick paddy, and which is which is uh, always gets my goat up. But we're certainly not thick paddies, and the Irish throughout the world have shown how powerful they can become and how much I suppose hard work can deliver, you know, a new life for people. And we spoke, and if anyone gets a chance to go back onto the last podcast that we spoke with you, Charlie, you explained, you know, that you arrive in America with nothing, but if you walk hard, there's plenty of opportunities there. So it's, it's a, I suppose we have to tip our cap, our cap, whether we agree with Biden's politics or not, we have to tip our cap to, to his, his, his people and how they have embraced the American way and progressed their families to the level that one becomes the president of the United States. Oh yeah, very much so. Um, you know, the, the Irish here in America, as I said, now that they, they didn't even answer, they didn't even don't care about if he's Irish Catholic or not, he's president. And that is indicative in itself of the progress that the Irish have made since we came to this country. You know, you know, Donald Trump's, um, group, those headbangers, as you call them, who, who attacked the, the, the Congress. You know, when the Irish came here, there was a group called the Know-Nothings, and they were very anti-immigrant, very anti-Irish, anti-Catholic, you know? So it just shows that, you know, history, and, and con- it's not a, a, a progression, an upward progression. We don't always improve as we might think that we do. You know, these groups that we're seeing attacking the Congress recently, they existed, you know, Right after on Gortemore, when the, when the Irish landed in this country and were treated badly and you know, difficulty getting jobs, housing, all that kind of stuff, you know, and you had those racist cartoons, uh, cartoon caricatures that you're talking about. Now, very interestingly, I mean, like you're talking about being referred to as thick patties and stuff. That kind of stuff, I see much more of that. Uh, I used to live in now with the university in England, and and while I didn't experience much of that at all. I was aware of the caricatures and perhaps some things that might have been said when you weren't when you weren't there, but there's none of that here in the United States. When I landed in America, being Irish was definitely an asset to me. You know, there's a hundred percent that being Irish was like a kind of cool thing. You were very welcome and embraced, and uh, it was a very positive experience. There was no negativity of derogatory comments and jokes and all that kind of, and caricatures, none of that at all, you know? Um, so, yeah, the, the Irish definitely overcame a lot, you know, Ireland and Scotland and, and wherever else. I know a lot of the young kids now are going to Australia. So, um, yeah, we've definitely overcome a lot uh, and established a lot and achieved a lot, just like Glasgow Celtic Football Club itself stands there today 
as, as a beacon of what the, the Irish Catholics have achieved in Scotland. And it's like, we're here and we're staying and we're part of the country and you can uh, accept us and embrace us. Um, the same as here in the United States. Uh, the Irish, as we know, it's a long, it's a long story of their achievements here. Um, I think, interestingly, even when you talk about going to the moon, Andrew, and, and the achievements of the Irish, there was three, there was Buzz Aldrin landed on, the, on, the, on, the, on that capsule, there was three men, Buzz Aldrin. The second guy was Armstrong. Um, I can't remember his first name. Second name was Armstrong, which is Scott's Irish name, you know, like the Ulster Scots, right? Uh, and the third man uh, there was Michael Collins. So of those three men, you could say that two of them, even who reached the moon, had Irish descent in them. Um, whether you be Ulster Scots like Armstrong or whether you're uh, Collins like Michael Collins and Irish Catholic background like the other of those three men on that. So yeah, we've literally, we've come to America and literally gone all the way to the moon. We've gone past being presidents and like stuff. We've already gone to the moon, my friend. Uh, so that's a very kind of positive uh, thing about what the Irish uh, can achieve on their in their travels and their migrations around the world through time and through history. And whether we left because of our North Dakota or because of, uh, desire to travel, whatever it may be, but it's there. It's in our history, and uh, and I find that we're very embraced and 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 welcomed wherever we go. And it's uh, you know I don't know. It, it's very kind of uh, uh, very kind of flattering, and and uh, I, you know it's it's a very good thing for our people. We we exhibit a lot of that soft power. I think I spoke before when I was last on with you about each one of us being an ambassador for Ireland, uh, the way every fan is an ambassador for Celtic. And maybe we need to consider that because some of the scenes I've been seeing recently at Celtic Park there with the fences and everything uh, and the buses, it's very concerning. Um, you know, people really should not be behaving in that fashion. Uh, we represent the club. We have to support the club and, and the history and everything we've, that we stand for, you know, and, and, and that includes our, our philosophies and uh, our outlook on life that a lot of us share, you know. The protest certainly did avoid the uh, Celtic support. And uh, as Neil, as I said, Neil Lennon, um, the opinion on him from the support has, you know, many believe that he's he stayed too long. We, 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 did, del- we did think he would deliver the 10. It, I suppose the toughest part for me is that Rangers didn't have to come and fight for it. We handed it to them on a silver platter. Uh, so that, that's, that's a tough one. And it will be the first uh, major honour in, in Scottish football. And it's not bad for a new club, I suppose, who are only in existence. I suppose, what was it? You know, they don't even hit double figures of existence. From that lovely Valentine's Day, Charlie, yeah, was it eight, yeah? And that lovely Valentine's Day, we all celebrated and we still celebrate. They they look like they are going to win their first title in their history. I'd like to wish them all the best, but I won't because I couldn't. Neil Lennon, has put, as you said, he's put up a lot. In my estimation he, he's he's contributed greatly to the club both as a, as a as a player and a manager and I think he should be remembered for that so many managers um, were sacked at Celtic Park and names like Billy McNeil come to mind you know every every manager's time comes to an end and I see in one of a uh, previous guests um, Gianni Capaldi the actor and he, he put you know even Muhammad Ali had to hang his gloves up and I thought that was a nice way of putting it. And when Neil's time does come to an end, which is which maybe sooner than we than we think, I think we we still will wish him the best of luck, Charlie. Uh, I I won't. I wish he had to deliver the the ten. I won't hold a grudge. And I think with time, most fans will, will heal as well because it's just a bit raw at the moment. But look, I don't want to go back to Glasgow yet. I want to stay stay side with Charlie because normally this time of the year we're looking forward. The Playboys, Celtic Supporters Club, failure. 
at the Plow and Stars in Philadelphia. And I've been lucky enough to be invited over on a couple of occasions to host the Celtic AM show. And while I'm here, I might as well give a big shout out to John Joe and the rest of the club for the hospitality they've shown me over the years. And last year, little did we know that how COVID was going to strike. We, we were talking about it in the pub, Charlie. But hopefully, when we get this vaccine, we can get back to down into Philly and enjoy a few beers and walk around the corner to that fabulous monument that honours the Irish famine and the Americans and how they made their way over, or the Irish and how they made their way over to America. And hopefully, we will get back to that, Charlie. Are you still able to meet up with the lads to watch games or... Is it just a case of watching from home now? Well, a lot of it has been watching from home. Um, I've been down a couple of times uh, and I deliberately kind of went down. Obviously, with the whole lockdown, it's very difficult. When I went there, you have to sit outside, which I was comfortable with. I wouldn't have been going inside anyway. I'm, I'm, I tend to be particularly cautious about this i wear my mask religiously and or diligently i should say and um yeah so i sat outside on a couple of occasions um and i deliberately kind of went down because part of it was wanting to get out of the house and talk to adults you know um part of it because i knew i'd be sitting outside and also i knew that when the weather turned i knew i wouldn't be going down in the winter time and having to sit outside in the freezing cold that we had put a screen up outside and stuff you know so I've been down a couple of times, but not recently because the weather has turned and it gets bitter, bitter cold over here in the States. Some of the lads have been down there. I think uh, I think Fitzy was down there recently, Joe Brooks and uh, Seamus and John Joe, different guys talking about, um, you know, going down and uh, Tommy Law and different ones. So I'm not quite sure who's been down there recently. I'm waiting until I get the vaccine before I go back down. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. You know, it, it doesn't matter, you know, how bad we're playing or whatever what's happening here you know i'll i'll be looking to see the rebuilds you know because that's that's that we're in that transition stage i think you said at the top of the show there we're we're moving into this transition phase you know on a rebuilding phase um you were asking me the question there about lennon um and uh you know a, a couple of things came to mind as you were formulating that question uh, first of all i was thinking kind of maybe more of brown i think you were talking about capaldi and and muhammad ali and the time has come to hang up the the gloves uh, and you won't have any, hold any grudges against uh, Lennon or anything. And, and of course, I agree with that. Um, but I'm wondering, like, Scott Brown's contract is up at the end of the season. And uh, maybe that's something we need to kind of think about. Is it maybe Scott Brown's time now to hang up the gloves, hang up the boots, you know, and, and thank you for many wonderful years of service. He's won everything. He could, you know, um, he's been there for the whole nine in a row uh, every season, I believe. Him and Forrest, I think, are the only two that uh, played every season. Um so yeah, maybe maybe um, maybe Scott Brown there. Um, maybe it's something for him to consider. Who knows? Um, and and and, and uh, the the new lad uh, Sorrow. Um, I think he's obviously been playing quite well. But in reference to uh, at the bottom of the diamond in particular, you know, I know this whole COVID thing forced us to change back again our formation. But we actually started playing pretty decent there. We played with a diamond in the middle and two up front. But anyway. Um, yeah, when you're talking about Neil Lennon, I actually met him when uh, it was many years ago when I was at university in England. Um, I used to commute uh, to college on the train. I was living in a place called Heaton Chapel on the south side of Manchester. So I come to the train station at eight o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was, and there's nobody on the platform. And there's one kid sitting on the bench and he's wearing a Republic of Ireland jersey, bright red hair. And I've got my college books in my 
bag, which uh, I, have, I had a bright green Celtic bag, which I used to use for, for college. Um, so I see the cast sit down beside me. Hey, how's it going? Lads from Lurgan. I'm from Belfast. We start talking, uh, both Celtic supporters, both Irish supporters. And I'm chatting away to this young lad. And he was telling me that he was with Manchester City, that he was uh, rooming with Niall Quinn, and that uh, he was on loan to um, Crew Alexander at the time. And he was at the train station because he was commuting down to Crew for training and stuff, you know. So we just got to talking and uh, having a, a natter away there. And, and uh, little did I know, uh, this kid, I, I thought, you know, well, hopefully the kid will have a decent career. Maybe he'll end up in a second, third division. Maybe it won't work. He'll go back home to Ireland like many other um, kids before him. I didn't know at the time that the kid was going to grow up to be manager of Celtic and, uh, and be captain of Celtic and have a wonderful career, you know. So, so I actually met him many, many years ago by chance. Uh, and then I actually bumped into him again in, Las, in Vegas at the uh, Celtic convention many years later. He was over as a guest. Uh, um, I think he was still a player at the time. And, um, you know, he was, he was very nice. And he was very polite and diplomatic. And uh, some of the lads, we were all, you know, having a beer and singing songs. It was late at night, maybe 2 a.m. And uh, Neil Lennon was there, and he, he kept a nice, he kept a discreet distance. You can see that he wanted to come and join in the crack, but maybe professionally, it might have been best not to have pictures taken of him and all that kind of stuff. So he stayed at a discreet distance, very well dressed. He had a, I seem to recall, he had a black jacket and a bow tie and stuff on, you know. But he sat there. He wasn't really drinking any alcohol or anything. Very well behaved, and but you could see he he really wanted to join in the crack because that's just part of what he is. Ever since he was an eighteen year old kid, he might have been seventeen. It was a kid I was talking to, you know, and the kid was sitting right there on that train station bench, and he was he was Celtic, and he was Republic of Ireland, a boy from Lurgan, even from that young age, you know, uh, and I can I can testify to that because I spoke to him when he was that age, you know. So yeah, like he's we stayed there at the start, um, and he said himself in that statement yesterday, he's given his club, he's given his he's given his life, sorry, to the club. Uh, why would he walk away? And I've no doubt that he, he like, we know he's put up with, you know, bullets in the mail and being attacked on the streets and in the stadiums and all the harassment, all the, all the, you know, so it, he's undoubtedly made great personal sacrifices in terms of maybe where he lives and other career opportunities that he's turned down. So yeah, I'm sure he's given an awful lot of his life to Celtic football club on top of playing for the club for so long and managing the club, you know? So like you say, you know, no, no animosity, no hard feelings. Maybe just sometimes it's it's time to just hang up the gloves when your time comes. And unfortunately, I think we're, we're kind of there. Like we, we're not moving forward. We're moving backwards and we can't have that for the club. You know, we need to be doing better. We're, we're just not uh, we're just not progressing as I said uh, at the start it was it's managed decline since Rogers left and it's complacency in the board level we're kind of circled right back down to the start here Andrew it's 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 uh, complacency at the board level and I don't know if, if Neil Lennon has the the abilities to coach modern teams effectively like it's some of those games against strangers I mean you could see how Gerard had him you know, the, the ball would get cycled around to the corners. And every time it got to the corner, or the, left, the left or right corner, 35, 40 yards from goal, two or three Rangers guys would come in. I mean, they had identified that's the two points where we're going to take the ball back off them. That's the point where we're going to attack the ball and win it. And, you know, they were doing numbers on us, you know, and, and, and beating us. And, and, and none of that has been identified or changed. We're just not. So maybe Neil doesn't have it. And then, of course, you've got the personal responsibility of, of the players and their motivation. And do they want to be there? 
you know, there, there's just a lot. It's just, it's a lot to try and process, you know. Uh, I get everybody's practice. It's, it's the answer. I think you talking about uh, Dermot Desmond and his plan B, you know, I do agree with that. And as I said earlier, he does have form with that, you know. But yeah, young Neil Lennon, that kid on the, on the train, on the, on the, the platform of the train, um, was a Celtic kid even back there. Me and him sitting in England talking Celtic. Well, while, while we're talking about young kids, I want, take me back a bit further. Take me back to Belfast and your early memories of Celtic. Well, you know, it was difficult again, you know, back in those days. Um, you know, you, you couldn't really get any kind of news on Celtic. You know, you were you would hear things. There'd be some newspaper articles, you know. Um, you know, the, the big name for me was Danny McGrain. You'd get, you'd get uh, a little bit of footage on the TV, it, but it was mostly English stuff, Andrew, you know. Um, but, you know, lads would go over um, Belfast back in there. When I was a young lad, you're talking the 70s. It, w- it, was a, it was a difficult place. So, you know, it was, uh, you'd, you'd hear about the Celtic stuff and your community and your friends. And you were, you were naturally just like, we're Celtic. You know, that was our thing, you know, and enjoying football. And, uh, you know, there was, I remember in our school days, there was one of the, uh, I, was, I was primary school and you had our little football team for the school. And the, the guy who used to coach us would, you know, if you if if you you're a player of the year, you would get that this Celtic crest. You know, he'd give you a badge. You know, it could be sewn onto your your clothing that had the Celtic crest on it. You know, so just all those little things. It was just kind of, it was just in the community and in your being, and that was your football team, and and that just grew kind of over the years. And and when I landed in America, you know, I brought that with me, and uh, I, I've kind of held on to that kind of close to my heart and uh, that's a really good connection for for home for me so when uh you know i think i've said to you in the past you know when i get back home you know to go see celtic is a real i mean it's a real kind of uh i don't know it's just a great day out a real privilege a real honor because you're you're you know it's not just the game of football which we all enjoy and love but it's that club and it's that history and it's those people and and our history you know and our legacy in scotland around the world me coming from america and being back home in ireland and going to celtic park and that whole journey i mean you've done it many times yourself you got to get up early in the mornings you got to get on the ships and you got to drive across you know uh airshire and you get to glasgow and then you see the game a couple of pints and you come all the way back again you know so it's uh it's just a big that's that's a big day out that's enjoyable and um that's a treat i think is what i'm trying to say that's a big treat for me as an immigrant and and that's something I held on to. It started as a young boy. Belfast was a typical time, um, but uh, when I put uh, when I packed my uh, bag uh, to come to America, I, I put Glasgow Celtic in there with me, and uh, it stayed with me along with uh, like the Pogues and Christy Moore and a few other bits and pieces. You know, yeah, you must be missing your regular visits to your dad in Belfast. And as you say, when you're when you're over visiting your dad, you yeah, you take that pilgrimage to Celtic Park. Yeah, that's 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 probably a better word. Pilgrimage, indeed. That's that's a much better word. Um, yeah, obviously, I'm stuck here in the states. I uh, can't travel. I don't even know if Americans are allowed to land in Europe. Uh, you know, the, the 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 pandemic here has been handled very badly. Obviously, as we've discussed, by a colossal lack of leadership. So I don't even I haven't even looked at flights because the whole idea. It's you know why I, if I land if I'm allowed on a plane, am I allowed to land in Ireland? If I land in Ireland. Do I have to quarantine? Do I want, I, I, there's no way I'm going to put my father who's 82 years old. I'm not going to put him under any risk or, you know, it's just, it's just not on my radar. I'm going to wait till I get the vaccines and, uh, and then hopefully, hopefully, you know, maybe by the summertime, um, 
And don't forget to pop into me, Trandy, on your way up to Belfast. It will be an absolute pleasure, an absolute pleasure. We can, uh, we can sit and chat about a few things, um, get caught up. I know we were um, chatting about some uh, technology issues, uh, but uh, I, you know, I've just been so busy that I haven't had a chance to get back. But I'd be very happy to sit and talk about those items. And then maybe, oh my God, the thought of grabbing a pint and talking about Celtic, I mean, how good would that be? <laughs> oh, it'd be brilliant Charlie it'd be brilliant and Charlie um, you mentioned Glasgow there and on a positive note there's kind of a lot of negativity hanging around but on a positive note Charlie since the last time I spoke to you uh, when I spoke to you the last time you were very excited about the Scottish Cup uh, going to be played and the chance of a quadruple treble and that that became a reality uh, when did you watch the game and uh, I, uh, like, did you celebrate with Smicks? Yeah, the quadruple treble. Um, I remember when the, when the league uh, was uh, the nine in a row. Um, halfway through, we were awarded the league, uh, as was quite right and appropriate. Um, and then I remember going to bed that night thinking, "Oh darn it, we, we're not going to get the quadruple treble." Because, but uh, but then uh, the news came that it was going to be back on the table. They were going to finish it off, and indeed they did, and we won. And it and I'll try and keep it positive because you know the game itself. Oh my God, it was like. I can't take this, you know. Um, I went to penalties, I believe, um, and it was it was a tough one. When you asked me where did I watch it, I ended up watching it in the house again because of COVID, you know. Um, I didn't go down to the pub or anything like that. Uh, and again, you have to remember about the time differences over here. Um, sometimes the games are on early in the mornings. Um, but yeah, it was very positive, and you know, we we wrapped that up a quadruple treble, twelve trophies in a row, phenomenal. I think that what was it? Um, oh, what was that thing the club came out with? One, four seasons, three, uh, one club. What was it? What was that thing again? Twelve trophies, one club. I can't remember. It was pretty good, but um, yeah, tremendous that that they managed to get that into the into the history books. You know, it's somewhat of a constellation, Andrew. Like, let's be honest. We'll kind of look back probably in two, three, four years' time and say, you know what? Darn it, the tan got away from us. And let's not focus on that because we'll look back and we have something to look back on. And it was like, it's that quadruple travel, you know? That is something we can look back on and, and that'll cheer us up and that'll make us feel good. And that, that we pint of semantics will go down a little bit easier. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and was it too early in the morning after the penalty? After that, hey, our penalty we didn't have us, medic. <laughs> um, well, I, I can't remember what I was doing that day. Obviously, I watched the match, um, but no, I don't recall. I don't remember having a celebratory drink. Right? I tend not to drink in the house, Andrew. If I uh, if I'm going to have a pint, I, I just I go out for, to the pub, you know. Um, so it's not it's not something I'm in the habit of doing. I'm much more in the habit of having a cup of tea when I'm at home. But boy, that was it. That was a nerve-wracking match altogether. But again, we won it, and it's in the history books. And when I do have, I tell you what I'll do. When I finally get to the pub again, when I get this vaccine, uh, we'll raise the pint again. We'll raise the pint of Smithics to the uh, quadruple travel. It's been a tremendous achievement. We have been very fortunate over the last number of years to be alive and to experience, you know, this this success that Celtic has been having. Um, like you say, looks like that other team's about to win their first ever trophy. That's pretty good for a uh, for a new club. Um, fair play to them, sort of. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're, we can focus on the positives. We've got the we've got the quadruple travel. We did another nine in a row. The, this has been a wonderful period to be alive and to be a Celtic supporter, to be part of it all. Um, so we should be 
we should be very proud of that and we should accentuate the positive aspects of that. Let's, let's, hopefully we'll be able within the next number of months to, to move past some of the difficulties we're having and move, leave the negativity behind us and we'll be able to look back with pride on our achievements. Yeah, and was it a cup of tea, Charlie, when Trump lost the election or was there something a little stronger that night? <laughs> As it happens, that particular night, um, I wasn't at home and uh, I was... Uh, I was at work at my warehouse and um, there, there's a lad there, a fellow from County Antrim called Martin McElroy. And uh, um, he and I, uh, let's, yeah, like we, we, we opened up the whiskey and a bottle of patties. <laughs> we were not feeling any pain the night that uh, Joe Biden won the American election. Yes, we definitely celebrated. And that, that was a very long drawn out thing. I mean, like we voted on the Tuesday because of all the... Um, the uh, the ballots being mail in ballots because of COVID, it took like four days to count the ballots. So it wasn't until Saturday that evening we found out for definite, hundred percent. You know, Arizona, Michigan, and the different states had gone for Biden. So it happened to be a Saturday night. It happened to be about seven o'clock. The news came through that Biden was the winner. Uh, so yeah, we we opened the uh, we opened the whiskey that night and, uh, and and did some pretty good damage to it. But uh, I did not. I didn't open the whiskey. See, uh, I was at home. When we did the quadruple travel, so might have been a cup of tea and just a lot of a lot of texting to friends, I'm sure, and uh, and, and whiskey when Biden won the uh, won the elections. But I tell you, as I as I said there, uh, when I do get down to the pub, when when I get this when I get this uh, vaccine, I will raise a pint of Guinness and I'll down a pint of Guinness uh, and, and toast our quadruple travel, which has been an excellent, wonderful achievement. We will have that, as I said a moment ago, we will have that to look back on, even though the tan got away from us in two, three, four, five years' time, we'll have the satisfaction of looking back and saying, you know, darn it, that tan got away from us, but we got the quadruple treble. That's another thing in the locker, in the trophy cabinet, in the history books that we can derive a great deal of pride and satisfaction from. So that was, that was, and in the middle of that quadruple treble, there was an invincible treble. Actually, it was the first one. It was an invincible, went through the whole season unbeaten. Tremendous achievements, you know. And lucky, lucky to be alive at this time to be Celtic supporters. Yeah, and indeed, Charlie, you were, you were, you were there for the for when Tom Rogers goal hit the back of the net in person. You travelled the whole way from the states for that one. Yep, that's honest. I remember it well. And listen, Charlie, that that was a great um, memory for you. But I don't think I had my time machine when you were last on the show. But I've introduced my time machine now, my imaginary time machine to to the podcast. If I can take you back to a moment or a game in time that you attended or would like to have attended, what would it be? Well, I hadn't thought about games that I'd like to have attended. Um, but if you're going back in that time machine, you know, that game you just mentioned was a good one, that cup final. We'll beat Aberdeen 2-1. Um, more recently there, the, the Lazio game was a good one. We got a nice home win against Lazio. And it was also at that Rangers game. We got beat 2-1. Uh, again, recently, um, we, our goal came off um, Edward's hand and kind of deflected. I think uh, uh, they beat us 2-1 at Celtic Park. Anyway, it was part of that managed decline. But So they were all interesting games, all good games. You know, get to see, you know, Celtic Rangers game was always good. You know, European nights at, at Celtic Park are always good and great. And the cup finals, obviously, where we're winning is great. Um, but I would go a bit further back again because I actually have only ever been to two Celtic Rangers games. Uh, first one was many years ago. Uh, beat 3-0 at Celtic Park. So I think I'm going to pick that one 
as being my favorite, you know. Um, that one, I'm trying to remember, I, I don't know what year it was. Um, I think Petrov scored, I think Vargas scored, and Thompson scored a free kick. So that gives you a set. It must have been under the O'Neill era. So to see Celtic beating the Rangers, yeah, it wasn't the 6-2 game, I know. I was I was here in America, unfortunately. But uh, Charlie, you've only ever been to one Rangers Celtic game and you've been to one Sevco <laughs> Celtic game. So let's get that in because that uh, yeah. that always has to be uh, mentioned when that, we speak, when we speak that, about old Cole that, and new Cole. Yes, I, I, I stand corrected, my good man. I stand corrected. Well, well, thank you for pointing that out. Well spotted. I, I missed that. But listen... Charlie, it's been an absolute pleasure, as it always is, to talk to you. I hope, um, I hope I, you do go home to see your dad and, and get another trip to Celtic Park. I hope that I can get back over to your neck of the woods for the Playboys failure, and hopefully this time next year, I'm looking forward to packing my bags and going over for a couple of days because it's it's always a brilliant occasion, a brilliant weekend, and uh, I even got to there when the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl, which was the first American football game I ever watched. So there you go. I might be a lucky charm for the for the Eagles. But yeah, it's always great to get over, Charlie, and it's always great to see you back in Ireland and outside Celtic Park. So listen, look after yourself and get that vaccine and get home soon. Uh, absolutely. I, I Thank you very much, Andrew. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. You're a gentleman. Keep up the wonderful work and I look forward to seeing you soon. And you and I will definitely we're definitely going to sup on a pint again. And I greatly look forward to it. Here, here, Charlie. Here, here. All right. God bless, my friend. Bye-bye. It's always great and a pleasure to chat to Charlie about Celtic and getting insight into the Irish diaspora and the impact they have made in America. I suppose from the homeland to the White House now. I have to say thank you very much to everybody who bought More Than 90 Minutes, issue 112. The print edition landed on my desk Tuesday and now I only have a handful of copies left to sell. The remaining copies are available to purchase at CelticFanzine.com. I will put the link up in the podcast description. And also a big thank you to all those who subscribe. Our subscription base for the fanzine continues to grow. Anyone taking out a 12-month subscription will receive a free t-shirt. And if you want to take out a three-issue subscription, you'll receive a free badge in the post. All subscribers will also get a digital copy of each issue while they wait for the print copy to drop through the letterbox and have access to our digital back-issue library. Print and digital subscription details will be on the podcast description. With no match day sales, without your support, there would be no print edition. So as I said, thank you so much for the support. And don't forget to visit our online shop for our t-shirts and merchandise. And we always post out orders that come in before noon each day. Each episode, we always throw out a special offer for the listeners. And we're having a bit of a sale at the moment. So if you want one of our Celtic Soul t-shirts, we've took a tenner off. And you'll get that for 9 99 and we've also took a tenner off our famous polo tops. And you get them for $14.99. And that includes worldwide postage, as we don't do hidden charges. As always, thanks to my good friend Ronan McQuillan for producing the show. And if you like what we're doing, you can support us for the price of a pint. Visit the SaltLakeFansion.com website and you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate. Folks, there's plenty of articles and news on our website, so don't forget to visit us. And you can also sign up on the website for our new weekly newsletter, which we finally got round to doing last week and will continue to do each week going forward. Don't forget also to download our free app and you'll have access to all our podcasts, articles, daily news, video and info on upcoming events, the fanzine, our online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. 
All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, so hit the subscribe or follow button so you'll never miss an episode. And don't forget to leave a five-star review, one of those one-star reviews for us folks. We are on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, so give us a follow on that. And all the details of our social media are also in the podcast description. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, St. Margaret's Celtic Supporters Club, for once again supporting us. And, as always, for supporting the fanzine. As I said earlier, 20 years now they've been supporting us. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. If you enjoyed the conversation with today's guest, Charlie Lord, and would like to listen to more from fans who have emigrated to the States and have made a new life for themselves, I recommend you give episode four a listen. When Charlie was our guest on the show, along with former Celtic player Bobby Petter, Bobby who lives in Glasgow now and has made that his home after deciding not to return to Holland when his playing career finished. In episode 41 and 42, Johnny Vaughan from Dublin spoke about his life stateside and returning home to watch Celtic in Europe. And in episode 31, we spoke to Scottish actor Gianni Capaldi about his life in Las Vegas. Enjoy the weekend, folks. With the Scottish Cup now on hold, we have no game until Wednesday when we take on Hamilton at Celtic Park. We want to lend our support to musicians, performers and songwriters out there who have been hit the hardest by the lockdown restrictions with no gigs and no venues open. Send your material and we will give you a plug and play you out of each show. This week we will play out with Declan McLaughlin with a song from his new album, The Path of Most Resistance. We will stick up all Declan's details on the podcast description and how you can buy the new album. And we are really looking forward to having Declan on one of our live shows when it's safe to return later in the year, once the vaccine has kicked in and we can all get back onto the live circuit. Christy Moore and Damien Dempsey are raving about the album. I think I'll all agree they know a thing or two about music. That's it for our 50th episode. Stay tuned, stay safe, and as always, keep the faith. I went out looking for you I tried the nightclubs and the bars I searched the alleyways Where lonely men will hide their cure The girls down at the motel too afraid to say Cause we've got miles to feed Bills to pay This kind of talk just drives the men away I tried the station For all the good that that would do It seems their laws don't work for the likes of me and you I showed your picture And I tried to explain But you know Those dirty cops downtown Are all the fucking same You girls have only got Yourselves to blame We're just shadows Shadows in the dark We're just shadows Lonely souls and broken hearts I was putting on my makeup When the word came on There's a body in the reservoir And I knew that it 
was you When they took you from the water Your hands and feet were tied I wonder who you called out for Just before you died I fixed myself up Just so as I could cry You talked about Eddie Getting out last May Always said he'd come and get you Take all your pain away I knew you loved him And you didn't care The fact he tried to kill you once Was neither here nor there I wonder was it Eddie Who took you out there We're just shadows We're just shadows in the dark We're just shadows Lonely souls and broken hearts I have that picture of us on New Year's Eve You look so happy in your party dress And I'm stretched across your knees We've lightning in our eyes For this year we'd be free I'd put down the needle Stop chasing speed You'll never ever know How much that picture means to me You'll never ever know How much it means to me We're just shadows We're just shadows in the dark Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 